Well, the Chaldeans were swept out of power by the Persian invasion after a long siege. And the Persians, working under cover of darkness, they uh, dammed the river, they redirected its waters, they tunneled under the otherwise impregnable walls, and they invaded the city of Babylon from underneath. And in another night of drunkenness by the Chaldeans, that was when the Persians invaded. But again, how did Darius become king? Welcome again to Let the Bible Speak. This is Pastor Ian Golliher. And I trust that today the Lord will bless your heart richly, that your heart will be worn within as we open the Scriptures and speak the Lord's Word. Today from Daniel chapter 6 on Daniel the man of prayer. And I'll be asking a very probing question. Do you pray? Stay tuned as we Let the Bible Speak. Well, last week I told you that I like Daniel. Well, tonight I really like Daniel. I like him because he endured through so many changes. This is now the third king on the throne and the third time when there were tremendous pressures and threats against Daniel. There was... Uh, firstly, Nebuchadnezzar, then Belshazzar. And did you notice in verse 1 that it's now Darius, Darius. Now, how did that happen? And he's a Median. He's not a Chaldean. Somewhere in this history, the Persian invasion fell upon this city of Babylon. Historians tell us that this was the last part of the vast empire of Cyrus that crushed this area of Babylon. But how did Darius become the king? Well, the Chaldeans were swept out of power by the Persian invasion after a long siege. And the Persians, working under cover of darkness, they uh, dammed the river, They'd redirected its waters. They tunneled under the otherwise impregnable walls. And they invaded the city of Babylon from underneath. And in another night of drunkenness by the Chaldeans, that was when the Persians invaded. But again, how did Darius become king? The Persians, led by King Cyrus the Great, had defeated the Medes in the year 549 B.C. Wisely, the Persians allowed locals to govern. Their policy was not to totally exterminate, but to incorporate. And there's an entangled line of intermarriage between some of these Medes and Persians, And so there was something of cooperation or a merge. 
and the Medes were now in charge of Babylon, and Darius was the king. We're not totally reliant on the Bible for some of this information. Uh, there is a tremendous amount of, of historic evidence and archaeological evidence, like the cylinder of Cyrus. And that is a document that was issued by Cyrus the Great, consisting of a cylinder of clay inscribed in Akkadian cuneiform script. And the cylinder was created in 539 BC, surely by order of Cyrus the Great, when he took Babylon. Now, it is said by historians that Cyrus was the first leader to incorporate, and uh, this is a word from Neil McGregor from the British Museum, uh, that it was the first attempt we know about running a society, a state, with different nationalities and faiths. And so another part of the answer, how Darius the Mede was the king of Babylon at that time. Now I dig into some of that evidence because there are a great number of liberals who deny the historic record in the book of Daniel. Now, they are liberals, of course, and they deny everything supernatural. They deny the miracles. They deny the inspiration of the Bible. So in reality, it is no surprise that they're going to deny uh, Daniel. Now, they do so because of the prophecies of Daniel. They don't like his prophecies. And they say that no one could have come up with all the direct evidence that he prophesied that was so meticulously fulfilled within a couple of hundred years through Alexander the Great and the Roman Empire rising and so on. And so they say it's all ridiculous. But remember one thing. The Lord Jesus said in Matthew 24, 15, when ye therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, stand in the holy place, let him understand. So the Lord Jesus not only believed in Daniel, but he believed in his prophecies. The things that are recorded in this book that were to transpire, did transpire even before the life of Christ. The Lord said, you will then understand. And then, of course, there are some things that will read right to the latter end. Now, I like Daniel because of the Lord's testimony and because he was a faithful man. As we read this chapter, you'll have noticed that Darius also liked Daniel, and he elevated him to be his chief advisor and chief politician. There were three that arose and Daniel was the head of them. And he did so because he found Daniel to be trustworthy. Trust is huge. In any government, in any government organization, indeed in any collaborating work of life, trust is key. And you'll see in verse 2 uh, that he was given this position that the king should receive no damage. 
I think I told you before about Margaret Thatcher having a banana skin committee. And it was a committee that was uh, set up uh, lest there be any falls of the government. You know how people skid on a banana skin and people hurt themselves. Well, the banana skin committee was to look out for anything that would damage the government. They need to be wise. They need to be thoughtful. They need to be thinking ahead. need to be good planners. And Daniel was all of that. Now, his work was to secure the kingdom from damage. And like any business, good government is essential. And Darius elevated him to that position. Now, that was important because Belshazzar the Chaldean, while he was a very good warrior, he was a very poor politician. He lost control in the reins of government. He lost the hearts of the people. And so you'll see at the end of chapter 5 that uh, verse 30, in that night was Belshazzar the king of the Chaldeans slain. And Xenophon, the Greek historian, says that was by his own sons who slew him. He obviously had lost all support. And so Daniel's role was vital. He was the man who would win the hearts of the people, unify uh, the various strands of people to serve under Darius. And this brought about, of course, the jealousy of other wannabe leaders. And so the plotting began against Daniel. He was to be brought down by some means. He was really watertight. There was no scandal, no corruption that they could point to. There was nothing in Daniel's life was inconsistent. And so they came up with this deceitful way by which they would bring him down. They decided to arm the king of uh, the Medes, Darius, with a decree. A decree that everyone for 30 days should worship the King Darius and no other god. Now, of course, it was very pleasing to Darius. It was very flattering. And uh, he was on for it immediately. And it wasn't long until he signed the dotted line. And the decree went out. Now, it soon backfired on Darius because immediately... Uh, that the decree was signed, Daniel, the very same day, never missed a step. He went to his house, he opened the windows toward Jerusalem, and he did what he did every other day. He prayed toward the city of Jerusalem, identifying himself as a believer in the God of Israel and a man of prayer. And that was his fall. The report went back to Darius. Daniel is worshiping his God, not you. And oh, Darius realized the trap that had been set. And contrary to all his own desires, could not change the laws of the Medes and Persians. And 
Daniel was off to the lion's dens. Yes, I like Daniel. He was a God-fearing man, and he believed in loyalty to his God first. He was no man-pleaser. I want you to see the testimony that the Bible gives to Daniel in verse 23. So Daniel was taken up out of the den, and no manner of hurt was found upon him, because he believed in his God. What made the man was his faith, because he believed in his God. If there's any hope for you and I to be godly people, to be principled people, to stand out in this world and to be useful to God, it's our faith that we believe in our God. And I want us tonight to look at this testimony of Daniel and compare it with your testimony. Is it true that you are standing up for the Lord because you believe in the Lord your God? Well, firstly, let us see that he was Daniel and he was the man of power because he believed God. Daniel kept on praying. He kept on praying. Look at verse 10. Now, when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went into his house, and his windows being open in his chamber toward Jerusalem, he kneeled. You'll notice that there was no hesitation. He knew the decree was being formulated. He wondered, would it really become law, what it would mean to him? But when it was signed into law, he knew what it would mean. But without hesitation, he got on his knees with the windows open. There was no hiding. There was no trying to deny that he was going to continue worshiping the God of Israel by worshiping toward Jerusalem. His posture in prayer shows that he was an earnest man of prayer. He kneeled upon his knees. Now, the Bible doesn't demand any specific posture in prayer, but posture does tell a lot. Whether you believe that you humble yourself or you stand looking eye to eye to God, or whether you believe that God is all majestic and you are just a little worm coming to the almighty creator of all the earth. And so when Christians kneel, they demonstrate that humility, that submission, that dependence upon the grace of God. We see also his frequency of prayer, praying three times per day. He was a man who breathed the spirit of prayer. He did everything by prayer. And it's very important because you know that these lives of ours, they're very leaky. We have very leaky lives when it comes to the spirit and the grace of God. It's like a colander. You pour in the water, it just runs out. 
Now, it does its work. It washes the vegetables and the fruits and so on, but it doesn't hold water for long. And your life and mine is like that. That's why we need to constantly pray, to live in constant communion with God. And that's how Daniel prayed. Although he was one of the busiest men in the kingdom and in the city of Babylon, he still found time to pray three times a day. And I don't see him rushing it. That's the discipline that men and women of prayer must exercise. Where do we find men like Daniel? What would you do if there was a ban went out that you were not to pray to your God, to the Lord Jesus, for 30 days? What would you do? Would you defy? Would it make a difference? To some professing Christians, it would hardly make any difference. They don't go to prayer meetings anyway. They hardly ever get down on their knees and uh, make it known that they pray to the Lord their God. Some would cop out and say, well, let's just sit it out. It's not worth rubbing people the wrong way over this. 30 days later, we'll all be back to normal. How much would it upset our daily lives? Some would give up and say, well, it's obviously therefore not the will of God for me to pray because I'm in a jurisdiction where I am told I'm not allowed to. Therefore, I will obey men. In a more convenient season, then I'll pray. Some people who profess faith in Christ, well, they never pray much anyway, so it wouldn't make much difference. Now, I thought on the confusion this might be in these times when we have COVID-19 restrictions, a total of 50 people only, and for 11 Sundays we didn't meet at all. What would Daniel have done if he had been living through this pandemic? Well, I think we have to see the great shades of difference. Number one, the king did not, uh, the, uh, our uh, government is not telling us you can't pray to the Lord. Uh, we are not being forbidden to hold conversations by phone uh, with one another, keeping six feet apart, of course. We're not being told that we have to give up our Christianity, and we're certainly not told that we have to worship a man. So there are a lot of differences. And the wise person, of course, would do what is right and according to the commandments of God, uh, that we care for our brother and sisters and families and do what is safe. So don't tell me afterwards, if we were all like Daniel, we wouldn't listen to the government. That is very different. We see that for Daniel, this was really a matter of faith. Faith and prayer are always linked together. And that's true right throughout the Bible. Because the Lord Jesus said, according to your faith, be it unto you. And all things whatsoever ye shall ask in prayer, believing ye shall receive. And really, this whole book of Daniel is a book that teaches us that God 
truly does answer prayer. And it's a great encouragement and motivation to God's people to be men and women of prayer. And I hope that this uh, so far series in this book will stir you to realize that you need to be like Daniel, that you need to recognize that God intervenes. God really comes down into the minute, the little things of our lives. He cares what's in our kitchen. He cares what's in our garden. He cares how we drive on the roads. He cares of our attitude with neighbors and friends. He cares what church we attend. He cares how we handle his word. He cares how we worship him. And we learn all of that in these chapters in the book of Daniel. And when we get to chapter 9, Lord willing, we will see Daniel on his knees again. And we will look at how that man prayed. Thank you for joining with us here on Let the Bible Speak. Just a few closing thoughts on the question, do you pray? Do you pray is the acid test question of our faith. No other question will reach so far into our inner nature and flush out what we really believe and how we truly worship. People can have a lot of religion, but come up totally empty on prayer. The religions of the world teach people to pray by rope, by beads, or prayer wheels, and at set times each day. But the Lord Jesus calls such vain repetitions. That's what he taught in that now famous sermon on the mount in Matthew chapter 6. He said, But when ye pray, use not vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. Note how those whom the Lord Jesus called heathen had a rote of prayer. They were religious. They were fastidious in their saying of prayers and their much speaking in what they considered prayer. I fear that as it is with the river, shallow water makes the loudest sound. So it is with people's much speaking in their religious routines. True prayer must then be a matter of the heart, as it must come from the seat of our desires. It must engage your mind and its deepest thoughts, and it must be based on truth, to pray a lie to the God of truth, who demands that we worship him in spirit and truth, would be the worst wickedness. So true prayer must be based on the word of God, the Bible. It is important to read the Bible and to take the words of the Bible and pray them all over again. Tell the Lord in prayer, Lord, just as you said in your word, I'm coming to plead this promise or present my need. Prayer is a matter of faith, taking God at his word. In prayer, we allow the written words of the Bible to control our thinking and our asking. We dare not pray based on our imaginations, for the mind of man is deceitful. We must not pray on our lusts or sinful desires. That would only throw fuel upon our sins and inflame God's wrath against us. Such prayers would boomerang against us to our destruction. We're always to pray in Jesus' name. 
We go to God the Father through his Son as our mediator. That's in 1 Timothy chapter 2, 5. There is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. As no man hath seen God and lived, so no man can go to God without a mediator. As the Israelites did not go into the mount where Moses went, we must pray through our Lord Jesus, who is our intercessor with God. We are so far removed from the holiness of God that we would perish in his glorious light. But through the Lord Jesus, pleading his blood for cleansing, we may come near to God. We approach God in Jesus' name, and we ask our petitions in his name, because we are not worthy, but the Lord Jesus is totally worthy. The Christian can pray. We were saved from God's wrath and brought into his family to cry, Abba, Father. Through adoption of the Spirit, we are made the children of God. We can ask the Father for every need, just as little children do to their earthly father. The Christian can pray anytime, anywhere. You don't need to wait till Sunday comes around, and you don't need to sit in a church cathedral to offer prayer. You simply need the desire of your heart and faith in the Lord Jesus as your Savior, and you will be welcome at the throne of grace. Praise God, it is a throne of grace and not a throne of wrath. True Christians who worship God in spirit and truth always plead the name of Jesus and the death of Christ in their praying. This is what the Lord taught his disciples, and the same applies to us. Let me give you some verses from John's Gospel, chapter 14, 13. And whatsoever ye shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. And verse 14, if ye ask anything in my name, I will do it. And John 14, 26, but the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance, whatsoever I have said unto you. And John 15, 16, ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that ye should go and bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain, that whatsoever ye shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it you. John 16, 23, And in that day ye shall ask me nothing. Verily, verily, I say unto you, whatsoever ye shall ask the Father in my name, he will give it you. Verse 24, Hitherto have ye asked nothing in my name. Ask, and ye shall receive, that your joy may be full. And verse 26 in John 16. At that day ye shall ask in my name, and I say not unto you that I will pray the Father for you. What a wonderful thing that we can go to the Father through Jesus' name. That name has all worth, all might, and all authority, and we must use it every time we approach God in prayer. Now I ask you again, do you pray? May you answer that honestly, and may you say, Lord, teach us how to pray. You are listening to Let the Bible Speak, the radio broadcast of the Free Presbyterian Church in Canada. This is Pastor Ian Golliher. If you missed part of today's program or would like to hear it again, you can find it archived 
by program date on our website. Just go to www.ltbs.ca, CA for Canada. There you can read my blog, find my Bible study notes, audio and video sermons, as well as helpful articles. Or you can go to our podcast on iTunes. We're on the air Sundays at 9.30 a.m. for our full church broadcast and Monday to Friday, 5 a.m. and 5 p.m. on this station to bring you the gospel from our free Presbyterian church here in Cloverdale. We also invite you to our church services on Sundays, 10.30 and 6 p.m. Through our website, you can listen and view to our online services at 10.30 and 6 p.m. Make it your Sunday worship. Click on the Live Now button on the homepage of our website. Or if you would like to talk with me one-on-one as a pastor, please give me a call. The phone number is 604-897-2040. The mailing address is 187 187- 9058 Avenue, Surrey, BC, V3S1M6. We're located just two blocks north of Number 10 Highway on 188th Street. Our website again is ltbs.ca. You can join us Monday to Friday, 5 a.m., 5 p.m., here on this station as we let the Bible speak. <music>